Well, as you know, uh, this is our third session, and the first time I basically gave you um, an overall concept outline, you know, and uh, last time, last week, we really got in the meat of, of what I consider the Bible to be based on. And probably, I got to tell you, that was probably the best that I've laid it out for a long time. I mean, you wouldn't understand that because you don't know how many times I laid it out. But in my mind, you know, uh, I thought I did a pretty good thorough job. Um, uh, and that is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and I want to say this. If, here's what I want you to do. This is the value of doing this once a month. Uh, if we did it every week, you know, we would lose some things. Uh, but the value of doing it once a month is simply this. Uh, you have now then, that once we have our class, you have four weeks to really understand that material. And that's what I expect you to do. If you just come to this and get the material, and then in the preceding weeks don't learn it, then you're not going to learn anything about the Bible. My goal is to give you the material in a measured format, and then you to take that material and really, by the time you come back next month, you understand it. You understand it. You have it down. We have Thursday night Bible study. If you have any questions about it, you can ask me, obviously, questions here in the morning. Um, we also uh, you can call me or come over, whatever. I'll help you however I can. Most of you are working, or not most of you, but many of you are working with people who very well understand. They've been through it with me for years. They can help you with it. The point is this. If you don't learn this material month by month, you're never going to learn your Bible. It just becomes another stockpile of material that you have that you really don't grasp. There has to be a design and a plan to this. And last time we got the, what I consider the key to the Bible. Kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Everything in the Bible is going to revolve around those two concepts. And everybody who gets screwed up in the Bible, I mean everybody, whether they're a saved person or a lost person, whether they're a Baptist who is saved and has his own church or there's some idiot stick out there that doesn't believe anything about the Bible. Fundamentally, it's going to come down to their wrongly dividing the word of truth. You, when the Bible says rightly dividing the word of truth, it starts with you being able to divide your Bible up around the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So with that being said and that being laid out, we now have a, a good format. And you're going to see that we're going to be coming back to these things uh, over and over again. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's where we're at. Now, in my life, I, I'm, I'm not a very complex person. I, I, I'm, I'm a very simple person. I'm not very smart. Uh, people think that I'm smart because I know a lot about the Bible. The only smart I have is I was smart enough to know that the Bible is not a very complicated book. Therefore, somebody, the dumber you are, the better chance you have to learn it. If that is smarts, then that's, that's where I'm at with it. And I've always had to break things down in a very simple way. And uh, I, that's the only way I've been able to do anything. I've, I've accomplished some things in my life that, you know, that, uh, but it, 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 it all, it, no matter what it was, it was, uh, it was breaking it down to the lowest common denominator and, and then figuring out from there. And I learned very early on that uh, that's what you do with the Bible. Uh, and I, I'll tell you how I learned that concept. I was uh, um, 
I don't even remember what I was reading or how I was reading it, but it was a it was a story about World War II and how that our winning the war depend on us getting troops and supplies to everywhere it was needed. Obviously, December 7, 1941, we, we were devastated. We lost basically the whole Pacific fleet. And uh, America was behind the eight ball. And uh, very quickly, we found ourselves in a two-front war. And we had to have a Navy that not only fought in the, in the Atlantic against the Germans and the Italians, but we also faced the Japanese uh, and we were very under strength. Uh, that's why we lost places like, uh, you know, uh, Wake Island and uh, uh, the Philippines. Uh, you know, we didn't have any ships to send anybody anything to help them. And, uh, you know, we almost lost the Battle of, of, of Midway. Uh, we almost lost Guadalcanal. Uh, but those guys hung on by their fingertips without any supplies or anybody getting anything to them. So it was a it was a it was a very tough time. Shipbuilding back then it took about a year to build a ship, and uh, you know it's a monumental task. You lay the keel and then uh, you put workers on it, and you got to imagine now we're way behind in ships. I don't remember who it was, but by the time we got to 1944, going into 45, somebody come up with the idea of building ships in a revolutionary way that had never been done before. And what they decided to do was to, instead of building the keel and then working on the ship for a year, they decided to designate places around the country that would build a component of that ship. That's all they did. And then they would, when, they, when those components got to the naval yard, they were all ready to go. Everything was in them. The wires were in them. This needed to be welded down, hooked up, and component, 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 component. By the end of the war, by the end of the war, now keep in mind, it took over a year. By the end of the war, they were setting records that they were setting out ships in 31 days. Just a little over a month. Using that concept of building it by components, and then putting all the components together, welding them together, hooking everything up, voila, the ship is ready to go. And I saw that, and I remember reading that, and I thought to myself, you know what? That's exactly the way I need to learn my Bible. The Bible is just like that, is built on components. And those components will basically give you uh, everything in the Bible. The failure of people is this. Most of the, and this is true of people in our own church. You don't have a systematic way to study the Bible. You get a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, and you never systematically put your Bible into an understandable format. Therefore, you may learn some things about the Bible, but you're never going to learn the Bible. And uh, I, I try to get people, I try to get people set up that way uh, all the time. You got a call from Kelly. Oh, okay. I don't know why, but every time she gets a call, Woody, it comes through my, my, my watch, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah, okay. My, my problem is this trash man keeps calling you. What's that all about? No, I'm just kidding. 
and, and I found out that uh, you know you don't learn your Bible that way. You really don't. You got to systematically at some point in your life sit down. Now I know that's why we're here, but this stresses the importance of you doing this the way I'm telling you to do it. I want you all to learn the Bible. I really do. I, but I'm no idiot. I know that many of you will not. Not many of you. Some of you will not. Because you won't discipline yourself to do it. And, but if you do, by the time we're done with this in three years, um, you'll, you'll have your Bible down. It'll work for you. And, but we've got to build it component by component. And so what I'm going to begin to do, now that we defined uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to show you that your Bible is broken down in simply 17 components. Learning 17 components about the Bible is a lot easier than just jumping in and trying to learn the whole Bible. Once I get these 17 components down and you get them in your mind and you get them in your Bible, your notebook, then we're going to come back and we're going to do the wiring. We're going to hook everything up. We're going to do with the Bible exactly what they did with the Liberty ships, and that's what they called them, uh, back in 44 and 45. We're going to bake the Bible componently, one piece at a time. And it breaks down into 17 pieces. I'm going to go through maybe one, maybe two. I don't know. It may be how long it takes. I'm going to thoroughly explain every one of them to you. And uh, then I want you to be able to take this next month and completely come back and understand it. And that you have it down of exactly uh, how it works for you. And uh, it's going to be a thing where it's really, really, really going to be the way that we, 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 we learn the Bible together. And, um, you know, and we're going to do it componently. And then what we're going to do week by week, we're going to weld them together. When we're done with these 17 components, you're going to see how that they are all welded together. And it's the quickest way to learn your Bible. Uh, it's the most effective way to learn your Bible. Because we're not focusing on all kinds of stuff. We're focusing on one component at a time, but we're going to weld them all together. And through the consistency of that, you're going to see how it all works. Then we come back. This probably take us the rest of this year. And we're not stopping. I know people minister, we stop next month to last month. We're not stopping this. We're going, through, we're going through the whole summer. We're not shutting anything down because I think it's that important for you. Uh, but then we'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll connect all the wires. We'll go through the seven series. I'll bring you through the seven baptisms, the seven mysteries, the seven uh, resurrections, the, this, everything. We'll come through all the major components of the seven sevens. That's the wiring of the Bible. But you've got to get the components of the Bible welded together before you start hooking up the wiring. So we're going to approach this in a very systematic way. And uh, I'm going to bring you through uh, one component at a time, and uh, we're going to... When we're done, if you get two today or three today or one today, I expect you by the time you get back next week, next month, that you understand it. And I also expect you, if you don't, get with the people you're working with, ask it on Thursday night Bible study, ask it this morning, or get with me one-on-one -on -one and uh, let me help you that way. That's what, that's what we need to do. So that is, the, that is the best way to learn your Bible. That's how I learned the Bible. And honestly, guys, if I can learn the Bible, anybody can learn the Bible. It's not about your IQ. It's about your attitude about it. And if you're willing to focus and do the work, and I've made it simple. I mean, I could make this real complicated, but what does that do? It doesn't help anybody. The key to the Bible is taking it as simple as God designed it to be. 
There ain't no egos involved here. There ain't nobody trying to show anybody how smart they are. We're trying to do the reverse. We want to show everybody how dumb we are. Because that's the key. And some of you really fit into that category well. <laughs> you know that. Me of being number one. All right, let's look at the first component. Turn over your Bibles and turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. I guess that's a good place to start, isn't it? Now, the first component of your Bible that you need to thoroughly understand will be what happens between Genesis chapter 1-1 and Genesis chapter 1-2. This is commonly called uh, in theological circles, and I say that jokingly, uh, as the gap theory. And uh, the gap theory uh, is the aspect that something happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 that left a gap. And uh, uh, today, and I, and I just give you the whole thing, today you find that uh, I would say 99% of pastors, 100% of Bible colleges, uh, I'd say 99.999% of the churches uh, do not accept the gap anymore. Um, it's not really the gap theory, it's the gap fact. And uh, there's a very definite gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Let's read what it says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth without form and void, and darkness was on the place, uh, uh, face, of the, face of the deep. Now, anybody, a face of the waters. Now, anybody who, who knows anything about God or the Bible would have a problem with that right there. Because it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And, uh, and then it says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, this becomes a point of, of the people who are saved people who, who believe what they call a theistic evolution. And that is that God created it formlessly and void. And then it just naturally progressed itself from there. And, of course, uh, uh, here's the problem with, with anything but the gap fact. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever create anything that's not perfect, that hasn't have form. God never created anything formless and void. Not a thing. So we're going to rely on the character of God and the patterns of God. And by the way, tomorrow uh, I'm going to step out of Proverbs for just a couple of weeks. Um, God really did some things in my own heart, um, you know, while I was out um, and, uh, and, 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 and I got the, you know, sometimes it's good to step back and see things and see what people do and how things go. And so I want to take a couple of weeks um, before we go back into Proverbs, and I want to give you what's fresh on my heart and my mind, um, and, then, and then we'll go from there. But we're going to talk about patterns. And God always does everything by a pattern. So once you, and that's the greatest thing about, you ever want to learn about God is His consistency. And if you can understand that and you can realize God is consistent in what he does, <coughs> then uh, you're going to learn a lot about God and the things of God. And so right out, of the, right out of the thing reading that, anybody who understands God in any way, shape, or form knows that God uh, would never create uh, anything formless and void. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them perfect. When he created the earth back here... <coughs> In Genesis 1, it was perfect. When he comes back at the millennial reign of Christ and he takes over, it's perfect. When we get into eternity, it's perfect. God never does anything that isn't perfect. And it's inconceivable for God to create anything that is without form and void and darkness being upon the face of the deep. 
And uh, <coughs> so we definitely have a problem here. Now we know, basically, that uh, this is God's original creation. And in God's original creation, uh, God had a plan. And we see that uh, we see that God's original plan, based on Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven, is for God to, at some point, have a universe, second heaven, that is that is absolutely complete and perfect, and filled with sinless uh, sons of God uh, and and people who want to worship Him and fellowship with Him. That was God's original plan, and God's original plan. You know, uh, it, it runs like this, just so you can see it. Here, Genesis 1, and then here's Revelation chapter 22. Now, this is where God started his plan, and this is where God's going to take up and finish his plan. But God, God wants to have a universe of sinless beings that love him and worship him, but God will not force anybody to do that. So God, in his wisdom and his knowledge, and everything that he did, he created it perfect in chapter 1, verse 1, and then he allowed free will to enter in. One of the things that you're going to learn about God in the Bible as you come through it that God has created certain identities. He's created cherubim. He's created angels. He's created seraphim. He's created man. All those are part of God's creation. (coughs) When you come through the Bible, you're going to find that everything that God created has a choice to stay with God or not stay with God. And God gave everything that he created a choice. The man who tells you that God doesn't operate by free will is somebody who's an idiot and doesn't know anything about the Bible. Free will is, is absolutely the key to everything with God and, uh, and to be a holy God. So God established it here, perfect. And then he allowed it to go south here by free will. And then God puts a parenthesis here to here, which we call time, that runs 6,000 years, 7,000 years being there. For those 6,000 years, God gives man in the Old Testament, then man in the New Testament, he gives him through his free will to either choose to go with God or not go with God when God gets here. Now that is the simplest way to understand what God's plan is from the Bible. Everything in the Bible that we're going to go through is based on that model right there. And models are absolutely important in the Bible. He created it perfect there like it'll be perfect here. But God is not going to force anybody to love him. So everything that he created, he gives them a choice. And from here, Genesis 1-2, on to Revelation chapter 22 and beyond, everything that God created gets a choice. And what you have between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, which make up the gap, is that Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub, decided he didn't want to go with God. 
And along with that, the angels had to make a choice. And the Bible tells us that a third of the angels, and I don't know how many that is because I don't know how many a third of what, but a third of the angels go with him. And of course, that's what makes up the fallen, uh, the unclean spirits and the devils and the demons, as we so uh, call them. And all that happens between 1-1 and 1-2. Now, it was a battle. And Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, you want to look at those. That is a detailed description of what took place. Fundamentally, Lucifer, uh, when you go through your Bible, you find that the throne of God is like this. This is looking down at the t- from, from the top on it. You have one cherubim here, one cherubim here, one cherubim here, one cherubim here. Here's God's throne. Out here is an altar with a seraphim. And then the fifth cherub, which was Lucifer, covered the throne. I would guess to say that, that, that in Genesis 1-1, we don't know the time element between 1-1 and 1-2. But there is a period of time there. Nobody knows what that is. But here's what we do know. We do know that at that point in Genesis 1-1, that Lucifer was over everything on God's creation. And we also know that the earth, let's say the universe looks like this. Here's the throne of God. We know that the earth was up at the top of the universe, right under God's throne. I would say that Lucifer was over all God's creation of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And I would tell you that his throne that he was over, dominion, was in the Garden of Eden, right where Jerusalem is, right in the middle of of the action of today, the land grant that was given to Abraham. There's a reason why the devil wants the holy land back in particular Jerusalem? And the answer is simple, because that's where his throne was in Genesis 1-1 before he fell. Every battle in the history of this planet has been over that piece of ground, and as so today. So what we have here, what we have here is a, a galactic war that takes place. Isaiah 28, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 says that Lucifer wants to be God. He leads a revolt against God, He wants to exalt his throne. So he had a throne above the stars of God. For him to exalt that throne over God's throne means that he has to be somewhere lower than God's throne. But he has a throne. It was in Jerusalem. But he wasn't satisfied with being over all of God's creation. He wanted to be God. And, of course, uh, what happened was was a, a Star Wars battle galactica Uh, that threw the second heaven into chaos and destroyed uh, everything. And uh, at the end of that, this is why you have verse 2, that the earth now is formless and void, and darkness is upon the face of the waters. What God did was this. Here's an expanded view of what we know to be 
what we call the universe, what God calls the second heaven or outer space. God's throne is up here. The earth was up here. Now, when this all happens, the book of Job talks about the earth, and Isaiah talks about the earth being knocked out of its place. Now we find that the earth is down here at the bottom of the universe. And what God does, we're going to see it in a moment, is that God floods out everything in the second heaven, and now it's water. Water here, water here, water, water everywhere. Now this is why scientists will tell you when they begin to explore Mars, uh, they're looking for life on other planets. This is why they will tell you that Mars once had water. Absolutely. Absolutely it did. Because there was a time when the whole universe as we know it, second heaven as the Bible calls it, was completely submerged in water. And we're going to see that when we get into the next section here. And it was a thing where it was absolutely uh, deluged in water. And uh, so where you want to go to see that over here is, uh, let's just take a look at it. Come over to First uh, Peter. Or 2 Peter chapter 3, just make it. Uh, pick it up in uh, verse 3, uh, 2 Peter 3, 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now notice the context here. If you don't have that marked in your Bible with your yellow china marker, mark in there from the beginning of the creation. That's the context, what he's going to talk about. For this they were willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the word then that world, uh, world then that was being overflowed with water, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in a store reserved on the fire judgment, day of judgment and perdition of the godly men. Uh, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, uh, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. We'll get into that verse uh, uh, 8 when we get into the 7 series and we talk about the 7 things you're not to be ignorant of. Now these verses that I just gave you are the, what takes place between Genesis 1 and 1-2. I have to tell you this also. Every Bible college on the planet today and 99.999% of the pastors will tell you that this is Noah's flood. When you reject the Bible in the gap, then you've got to come up with some kind of asinine excuse for other things that support what the Bible is really teaching. So people of high stupidity uh, will always try to take a passage like this and make it something that it's not. But you and me, the common man who just believe what we read, sees the fallacy of it and it cuts through their, their junk like a hot knife through butter. First of all, the context here is the beginning of the creation, not Noah's flood. That would be my first red flag. Sorry. You know what, you want to make it your fantasy world that it's Noah's flood, help yourself. I'll stick with the book. He told you the beginning of the creation. Second thing is this. 
verse 5. For this willingly are ignorant of that by word of God the heavens. You notice there's a plural, there's an S on it. Now the people who want to lay this out have no clue that there's three heavens in the Bible. So they're working under the handicap of, of being totally stupid when it comes to the word of God. There's three heavens in the Bible. Noah's flood only concerned one heaven. The first heaven in the Bible is our atmosphere. The second heaven is outer space. And the third heaven is the throne where God is, where Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. The Bible is very clear on it. Those three heavens are laid out for you in Psalm 77. Uh, I don't know how you can miss it unless you're just educated beyond your intelligence, which makes you really stupid. And so it's very clear that we're talking about the creation here, and we're talking about heavens. Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 affected two heavens. It affected the atmosphere around planet Earth, because it's submerged in water, and it affected the universe, which is the second heaven. So heavens is correct. Again, just in case somebody might be slow, he says in verse 5, for this they are willingly ignorant of. Now that's a good word. That <clears throat> it shows you that people who reject this are willingly ignorant. It isn't a thing that they just don't know. Most of you didn't know. But when I lay it out to the Word of God, you've got enough honesty and integrity with the Bible that you believe it. <clears throat> it's the problem when you get it laid out and see it clearly and you still hold to it, now you're willingly ignorant. And that's where they're at. I have met more willingly ignorant people in my life in the last 20 years than I have, uh, they're everywhere. And that's the problem. People want to stay ignorant. And, uh, and so, you know, as the Bible says, he that is ignorant, let him be ignorant still, and it's your deal. Now, here again, just in case you missed it, uh, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. So he's telling you that <clears throat> uh, as the judgment in verse 7 is going to be a universal judgment, so was the judgment of this water up here in verse 5. And of course, that's one of your key places in the Bible that you want to follow. So our first component will be Genesis 1-1 to 1-2. And that will simply be the fall of Satan and Lucifer. We'll see God's original creation. <clears throat> we now know that God allowed that to happen uh, because of the fact that God is going to put a little parenthesis in eternity called time. That man puts the emphasis on the things that's been here for hundreds of millions of years. When the truth of the matter is, according to a chart up here in the Bible, man as we know him uh, only started about 6,000 years ago with Adam and Eve in the garden. There was no cavemen. I'm not saying there wasn't people who lived in caves. But there was no cavemen. There was no Nathanael man. There was no Java man. There wasn't no primate man who started out as an ape and then evolved out of, you know, uh, you know um, and then wound up being a man. Uh, God created man in his image, perfect, as he always does. And then, of course, it goes from there. So we see now that the greatest first segment again, is a foundational segment. If you don't believe the gap and you don't understand the gap, you're not going to go very far in the Bible because, again, uh, here's what happens when you don't believe the gap. And I've never had anybody successfully answer this to me. Where did the devil fall if he didn't fall between Genesis 1 and 1-2? And you know what people do with that? 
they relegate the devil from being a person to being an influence. That's what they do with it. Once you start rejecting the Word of God, you know no bounds. And you keep cutting that thing apart till you get it the way you want it, and pretty soon you have nothing left. So you're going to find that Genesis is a key book in your Bible. Uh, we're talking about 6,000 years of history. Genesis takes up 2,315 years of that in one book. That's a long, that's a long period of time. That's a, that's a third of all the time that we're dealing with with man. 2,300, well, not a third, but a, a quarter of the time we're dealing with. Uh, 2,315 years. That's a long time. And, of course, uh, that's, as lo that's longer than the, from Christ up to now where we're at in the church age, almost. So it's a thing where Genesis is a key book in the Bible. So you're going to find a lot of these components, uh, at least the first six, are very vital. I call them foundational components. They're things that you have got to get down because the Bible is going to be built the rest of our time on these six things. So Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2 is going to be the gap. And the gap is basically where Satan relieves a revolt against God that he wants to overthrow his throne over God's throne, take over God's everything, and, uh, and then go from there. And of course, that's a fundamental thing that you want to understand. And of course, it, the key verses or, or chapters are Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 that will add to it. And of course, you want to remember that God doesn't create anything that isn't perfect uh, when he does it. So, any questions about that that you don't understand? Yes, sir. In uh, 2 Peter 3.5, when uh, talking about the... <coughs> where will I get there? No problem. Okay. Well, it says right there that uh, we're of old and the earth standing out of the water. That would be before when God created the heaven and the earth. It's out of the water. And then in verse 2, it's under the water. See how that works? Where did you go? Yeah, where it says the earth standing out of the water was before when he created it. When it's in the water is after the devil tears it up and then he drowns everything out. Amen. No, you got it. That's a great question. That's an excellent question. That's a good question. Yes, sir. In what? If it ha I will if it has to do with this. Uh, if it doesn't have to do with this, ask it on Thursday night. Uh, I don't want to get off track. On Let me get to Psalms 104. Psalms 104, where is it exactly you want to ask? 
Well, Psalms 104, 1 through 9 is the original creation. That is the original creation when God does everything. That's correct. It talks about the, uh, talks about the, uh, uh, how he covers himself with light. That's verse 3. Uh, God said, let there be light. That's Jesus Christ. Um, as with a garment, uh, who stretches forth the heavens. There it is, as a curtain. Uh, that's why you had in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle a curtain between the place where the priest did the work and the Holy of Holies. That's a picture of the universe. Right now, where the priest have the seven pieces of furniture, we do the work, but there's a curtain to get through where God's throne is. That's what the picture of that is. Yeah, it's all a picture of that. Yeah. Yeah, he says, He layeth the beams in his chambers in the waters. That's the waters that he's talking about. And I'm going to show you how that water changes here in just a minute when we get into the next one. Who makes the clouds his chariot. Uh, Christ always, uh, when, he, when, he, uh, when he went back in Acts chapter uh, 1, how did he go up? Anybody? In a what? In a cloud. How's he going to come back? Joel chapter 2, cloudy day, second coming of Christ. So that's what that's dealing with. Um, and walketh upon the wings of the wind. Uh, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. And of course, that's dealing with the angels and, and uh, them ministering in the Old Testament. So, yeah. So, when God created the angels, did he create them like just to specifically worship him and then he allowed free will to come in? Well, I don't think, it, it, I don't think that he created them to worship him and then allowed free will to come in. I think he created them with free will. I think the model for the angels is found in Adam and Eve. God created them, they had free will, but the problem was they didn't have an alternative choice till the devil showed up. Okay. He created them with a free will, but they didn't have an alternative choice till the Lucifer did what he did. Serve someone else? Yes. God? Yes. 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 So, there you go. Yes, sir. Oh, I've, I've got a, you said Joseph died in I'm sorry, what now? Joseph? Yeah, I, I, I counted mine here in the bottle. It's 2309. I don't know where it is. I'm, I'm not fo following. Years, years in Genesis. Yeah, what? How many years in Genesis? The scope? The whole course of Genesis, the whole book, yeah. covers a space of 2,315 years. From the time it starts in Genesis to the time it ends in Egypt, that course. Yeah. Uh, the, same, the same phrase, uh, without form and void, show, shows up in... Uh, Jeremiah chapter 4. Um, that, is that Jeremiah the second? Yeah, Jeremiah, it is. Jeremiah, there is a similarity between what happens between the gap and the second coming of Christ. So, yeah, there is. We don't, I, right now, I just want to get you that component. I don't want to get into all the... Legs of it. Anybody else on basic? Yes, sir. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, 16. 115. 116. 16. Hang on, ma'am. mentioned that uh, God made the stars also. I thought that was a reference to uh, him making the angels. Okay, where do I get there? I'm, okay. That's where my next component is. Gotcha. Nothing wrong with that question. That's a great question. Anybody, yeah, great. God um, begins to reach 
one here, it says direct in Genesis 1, 2, when he creates um, the firmament, like in the upper waters, like that's like the father. Well, if, I'm not, if that was true, then he would have to reverse it. He would have to say, standing in the water and out of the water, because it's in the water first, and then it's out of the water after he starts the reconstruction. The way it's formed, it's, he's, it's out of the water first, then in the water, would put it between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. And the context of that is not dealing with the reconstruction. The context of that is dealing with the beginning of the creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That, excellent question. Yes, ma'am. And your name is who now? I got one question. Do you love me? Yeah. Okay. So I want to know. Are you, are you glad I'm back? Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you glad that Kathy's out of my life forever? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just playing with you. Uh, no, because it's all one section. It's all one section. Paragraphs in the mark, paragraph marks in the Bible indicate subject chains. There's no subject chain between 1-1 one, one, and 1-2. One, it's all one concept. Well, I'm going to show you how the paragraph marks work here when we get into the next component. But no, it, it doesn't. Okay? Anybody else? I don't want to forget anybody, but keep it on track. Okay, now let's look at the second component. And this will be Genesis chapter 1, 2, uh, up to chapter 3, but not including chapter 3. And this will be what Drake was talking about and some of the others were talking about. This will be the reconstruction of, of God's uh, original creation. The thing that I want you to notice here, that in verse 1 it says, uh, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. From verse 3 down to, uh, to verse 21, you do not find the word created again. He's not creating anything here. He's refashioning and restructuring based on what he already created in 1-1. That's very important that you see that. I think, you know, some of these things I can't stress enough that you get in your Bible as quickly as possible while your mind's fresh. And there's things like that that are absolutely vital. Now, <clears throat> from verse 3 on uh, is an absolute nightmare for most people, uh, simply because it looks so complicated. Uh, most people get into here, and because they do not understand that there's three heavens, they just keep reading the word heavens, 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 but they never see it's flip-flopping back and forth between two of the three heavens. And it becomes a very, very complicated process. And uh, the key to that, as uh, Sarah over here uh, brought up, is paragraph marks. Now, what I'm going to do, and I suggest that if you do this in your Bible as we go, if you don't have it already, I suggest that you do a little thing like this on some of these verses. Here's, say, here's verse 3, 4, 5. I suggest in your Bible you put a little thing like this. That it, it blocks out that section. Because these things are going to be very important to you and vital to you to get it down. Okay, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to come back and break it down for you. And this is, this is, this is section 2, Genesis 1-2, uh, um, with, with real emphasis on the first uh, 19 verses here, because this is where it's really at. The rest of it's pretty easy. 
But this is where it gets confusing. And God says, let there be light, and there was light, uh, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, evening, morning were the first day. And God said, let, all there, uh, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now notice there's a paragraph mark in verse 6. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and morning were the second day. Verse 9, another paragraph mark. And God said, now if you have a china marker that's red, I'd circle real small, or just make them red. i just circle those paragraph marks so you see them. They just jump up at you. I, that, that's, that's what I would do. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together under one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Uh, and God called the, uh, the dry land earth, and the gathering uh, together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb and yielding seed of fruit of the yielding fruit after his kind, uh, whose seed is in itself, and earth, uh, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and yield at the fruit, and the seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening and morning were the third day. Paragraph mark in verse 14. Mark it. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the stars, and he made the star, uh, night, excuse me, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now, What we have here is a complete breakdown of God's reconstruction. And it does a couple of things. First of all, it shows us how imperative the paragraph marks are. Now let's come up back here, and here's what you've got. I'm going to explain it to you first. I find it's easier that way. I'm going to explain it to you first, and then um, we'll come back and, and, and break it down. Okay, Genesis 1-1, God created heaven and the earth. He's got a perfect plan in place. We know where Lucifer's at. Everything is hunky-dory. I'm not sure what hunky-dory means, but everybody uses that phrase. Satan is not happy. He wants to, he wants to overthrow God. And uh, by the way, if any of you want a real weight loss program, I've got the thing for you. Back surgery will do it for you. No question about it. I can't keep my pants up. Anyway, uh, so now what we have is that uh, he drowns out the whole, this is called the second heaven here. It's also called firmament. Firmament means an expanse of space. That's all it means. Once you understand the three heavens, you realize that the first heaven is our atmosphere. That's an expanse of space. The second heaven is what we know as outer space, outer 
space, expanse of space, and the third heaven is where God is at, and uh, that's an expanse of space. So that's all a firmament is. And what happens now is that after the, after the deal, the whole second heaven is drowned out, and the earth is now, which was standing out of the water up here, is now in the water here. And it covers everything in the universe, everything. I don't, I'm sure all the planets were there, and God, I'm sure, but it's all drowned out. Now, what happens from verse 3 on begins the process of reconstructing to get it ready for what God is going to do now with Adam and Eve and begin to plan for man to be able to either choose or reject him. All right, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now, right now, you don't go three verses in your Bible that you know now what the problem is going to be down through history. Light versus darkness. The light here, if you go to the next verse, and God called the light day. And the evening he called uh, uh, night. And the evening and the morning uh, were the first day. And what you have now here is notice that day is capitalized and night is capitalized. These are two personalities. The day is Jesus Christ and the night is Satan, who are going to do battle down through history till the Lord puts him in his place in Revelation chapter 20 and we move on. The Bible talks about unshaped people connected with devil, children of the night. We're children of the day. What you have here in the model, when he creates this pattern, we're going to talk about patterns tomorrow, so you'll have a leg up on everybody, is the fact that God creates the sun and God creates the moon. He creates the earth. And what you have now is the pattern by which God is going to do everything. The Bible says he creates two great lights, the lesser light to rule the day, uh, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. So the day in the Bible, the sun comes up, will always be a picture of Christ coming uh, when the sun comes up, Malachi chapter 4. When the darkness is here at night, you'll find that the sun is not up, but the lesser light is up, that is the moon. Where the sun is a type of Christ, the moon is a type of the church. The moon doesn't have its own light. The moon reflects the light of its sun. In the Bible, the church age is likened to a nighttime. So the pattern is that the day is a picture of the second coming with Christ being here. And the night is a picture of the church age and the church being here. And the church being the light uh, in a dark world that gets its light from reflecting in your life the light from Christ, the sun. See how it works? That's the pattern. That's the model. That's the way it works. That's what we're getting ready to set up here. Everything that God does, He does by a pattern. He has a model to it, and there's a pattern to it. And it's just that simple. Okay. So, <clears throat> verse 6, paragraph mark. Here we go. This is going to be, you want to put your little parenthesis, like a, or not your parenthesis, but your little 
your little block there, like I told you. You want to draw it from verse, the paragraph mark of verse 6 down to the end of verse 8. You don't have to do both sides if you want. If you've got room, you can. You do that with a pen, a, a, a rapidograph pen, not your ballpoint pen. It'll bleed through. Uh, uh, but you want to you block those uh, verses out. 6, 7, and 8. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters, uh, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now here's what he does. Everything is drowned out. In this section, he's dealing with the second heaven. What he does, the earth is now gone. What he does is he pushes water up. So now we have water at the top of the universe and he pushes water down and we have water at the bottom of the universe. And in between now is the firmament that he creates, which is the expanse that we know as outer space. You follow that? It's not real complicated. It's just a very basic, fundamental process. Everything was completely flooded out. He pushes water up and he pushes water down. Now we have water at the top of the universe. We have water at the bottom of the universe. Everything here now is empty and dry. And God begins. Now keep in mind, the earth is still covered with water. It's a ball of water. We'll get to that in a moment. Right now, in this section, he's dividing the waters up and down, and creating an expanse called heaven, a firmament, which we know as outer space. So now it's dry, water at the top, water at the bottom. Everybody understand that? Okay. Let's go on to the next section. And here's where it gets complicated if you don't know what I'm already told you. Verse 9, paragraph mark. Now on this one, you want to bracket 9, 10, 11, uh, 12, and 13. Now, I want you to notice this, too. Look at verse, uh, verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. On every day of creation, he says it was good. He doesn't say it's good here. And the reason why he doesn't say it's good, and here again, contrast. Remember the first week we talked about it? This is contrast. Something's changed. And the reason why he doesn't say it's good, because this second heaven is going to be the dominion of Satan uh, and how he operates in outer space. This is the hotbed of demonic activity for the next 6,000 years. When, when, uh, when, when the Lord in Job 1 and 2 asked Satan where he'd been, he said, down on the earth, and now he's up in heaven. He's traveling to and fro. When Daniel's praying his prayer down there, it took, the, it took the angel three weeks to get to him because the prince of Persia held him up coming down in that firmament right there. That is the domain of Satan. That's why when God gave man dominion, uh, a little bit later on with Adam and Eve, he gave dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and the, uh, and, the, and the creeping things. He never gave him dominion over outer space. That's off limits. Somebody else's territory. That's from the Bible. All right, verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the, <coughs> the gather of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, 
the herb yielding seed, and fruit yielding fruit after his kind. Now notice the pattern again. When God made the trees, notice it says after his kind. Because these things are a type of Christ. So these trees are called after his kind. You're to be a tree of life to people that bears fruit. And the fruit is based on the seed that is inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God. Let's read on. Uh, Yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself. That itself there, Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament is never called a person because it's not a person. It manifests itself in seven spirits, Isaiah chapter 11. So you won't find it called him or her. You'll find it called, you'll find it called it, itself. The seed that is in you right now is because of the Holy Spirit of God, and that seed should make you a tree of life, that you have the seed in you, and men walking around as trees from your family tree, <clears throat> and you bear fruit by the seed that is in you. That's the pattern. See how the thing works? <clears throat> Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and, yield, and, and the tree yielding fruit, uh, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Okay? Here's what happens now. <clears throat> and you can see how complicated this would be if you didn't know what you're dealing with. In the preceding brackets, we were dealing with the heaven here. Now it's swift at the paragraph mark, we're dealing with the first heaven. And what we're doing here, we're dealing with the, with the this earth is still a ball of water, so when we get to this section, we're going in under the first heaven, our atmosphere. He's drying back the waters. We're seeing the land appear, trees appear, and everything begins to take shape on earth. The first bracket we talked about was this heaven here. The one we're talking about now is this heaven here, our atmosphere. See that? Yeah. The first part, can we just, could we just basically say that would be considered outer space? Then? Yeah, that's what it is, outer space, outer space, Absolutely. As long as you understand right. the, the calm firmament in heaven, mm-hmm. outer space is yes, ma'am. So is the reason that heaven in verse 8 is capitalized? It's a proper name. First time you find it in the Bible. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right, just pick it up in verse 14. <clears throat> and God said, let there be lights in the firmament, of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights and a firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. We talked about that. That's the sun. The lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Those are literal stars that you see up in heaven. And God uh, set them in the firmament. Notice he didn't create them. He made them. He made them from something that was already there because they were all part of the original creation in 1-1. Very important that you see that. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. All right. Uh, now here, and again, this is where you get crazy if you don't follow the paragraph marks. Now he jumps back up from, from our atmosphere on earth. He jumps back up to this one here, outer space. And now we creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And they're all placed in the second heaven. 
Now he's reconstructing everything. It is so vital. So you want to bracket the verses here. Is verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, and 19. Everybody understand that one? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, I don't know that, since I was not there, and the Bible doesn't really tell me the difference between when he created them and he, he remade them or refashioned them, I don't know what the difference was before the verse after. Whenever he created them originally, um, they were for his purpose the way he wanted them to be. Everything changed after that catastrophe. They already existed. Okay. He's refashioning them however he wants to for man in the next 6,000 years, what he's going to do. But since this is the first time it's made, where, where my confusion was is since this is the first time that it's mentioned, okay, I didn't have an understanding before. If you want a really Bible answer that is probably <coughs> way beyond the scope of average people, I got to hang on to somebody here a second. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, let me give you what you really probably have here. And your question is an excellent question. And they're all the way down here from Washington State, by the way. They're going to drive down every month for Bible Institute from Washington State. Here's what you probably have In the Bible, stars are likened to angels. Okay? I would say in the original creation, there was a star that represented every angel. And I think when they fell, a third of them left. So the refashioning of the stars after the fall there would probably be less the ones that left. That would be my best wild guess based on a great mind in the Bible being my own. <laughs> Which sometimes have mental breakdowns, like right now. You have money in there? What is that? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Well, Christ in the Bible is called the day star, and the devil in the Bible is called night, children of the night. Both represent the characteristics of God and the devil. The sun represents Christ, so in Malachi 4.1, he's called the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness instead of S-O-N. The Bible represents darkness. All through the Bible, he's connected with darkness. So this is where you find after the Satan leaves, now God defines for us what the battle is going to be by the two identities that will emerge, one being like Christ, the other one being that that's why they're capitalized because they're personification of two personalities. Read it for me if you have it. First Thessalonians 5.5. 5. That's, the, that's, where, that's where he talks about tonight, yeah. Go ahead and read it. First, Thess first or second? First section loading in five five. John's gonna read it for you here. Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. Ye are not of the night nor of darkness. There you go. See? That's what I was alluding to a minute ago. So 
you know, you begin to see how this one, this one works out here. And, and the real thing is, <clears throat> for me, for you, uh, is to get these flip-flopping back and forth on the firmament. There's three heavens. There is the atmosphere around earth. That's heaven number one. Atmosphere number, or heaven number two is outer space. Heaven number three is where uh, God, his throne is. And they're called firmaments. And a firmament is nothing more than an expanse of space. You just got to remember that. You can get that drilled into your head, then this won't be a problem. And I'm telling you, <coughs> mark, I may sound stupid to you, marking the paragraph marks with some kind of color, bracketing those verses out and putting beside them what they are will help you immensely. Yeah. Yes, sir. Like in other versions of the Bible, do they change? You know, the English, the King James Bible is the English Bible, the perfect English, like the proper names are capitalized. Do they change those? Yeah, names? I don't know. I, I'd have to see that. Yeah. I don't think they have the paragraph marks in them all. Okay. I think paragraph marks are exclusive to the King James Bible only. only Somebody one. may, is that right? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's true. Okay. There's a lot of things that I. They change it to what? They change heaven to heavens on the first, the seventh word in Genesis 1 1. Heaven, okay. they, they already changed by the seventh So just word. the proper, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. They, that. they do, that's right. All right, let's move on. Everybody good on that one? Those three? Yes, ma'am. Hey, let me ask you this. Is this making sense to you? Is it helping you? Okay, I don't want to waste my time or yours. This might be a stupid question, but is the sun. Up by, or is it like, do we know if the sun is? I'm sorry, is it? Is the sun where God placed Oh, the sun, I'm sorry, the sun. Where did he place it? Is it placed like up, like north, or is it like? Her question is, where did he place the sun? I I don't. Here's my answer to that as best I can. The earth now is down at the bottom at this point. So he puts the sun somewhere here relative, here's the moon, relative to where the earth is. But here's the real deal, and I'm not going to get into this, uh, but just so you, she asked the question, here's what you got. The earth is put in motion here in... Uh, what, the first day or the second day, whatever, it is, the first day. Then you have the sun showing up on the fifth day. So what you've got here is this. The orbit of the sun around the earth is not a complete circle. It's four days off. And it's four days off because the earth was traveling. He put the sun in the center of the solar system, as we know that to be. But he did it in such a way that it's in the center of the solar system from God's standpoint, but it's four days off because the earth was already moving. And he did that for a reason. Those four days, when you get into Jewish history, become the Feast of Tabernacles. Up to Exodus chapter 12, the nation of Israel began their year based on those four days because they knew it was the beginning of time. So the year is based on those four days. When you get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, he changes it. And now they base their year on them coming out of Egypt, the Exodus. 
But up to Exodus chapter 12, they based the beginning of their months or their years based on those four days that the earth is off four days. Those four days are the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I'll take it to the next level. Those four days are September, it's changed now, we're into October. But back then it was like September 20th to the 24th, which is the birthday of Jesus Christ, which is also the time period of the second coming of Christ. And that was months. The Feast of Tabernacles was an Old Testament feast where they, they, they built booths. And they lived in those booths. Uh, and it's called the Feast of Tabernacles because it represents the time that Christ would come down and tabernacle among men. It also represents the coming of Christ because those, those booths had to be covered with palm leaves, and palm leaves are always a picture of the millennial reign of Christ. So the Feast of Tabernacles represents the first coming of Christ. It also represents the second coming of Christ. What, is, what day does the sun show up? One, two, three, four, five, what day? Fourth day. I, and so Christ shows up 4,000 years after Genesis chapter 1. The sun comes to this earth. There you go. That's a pattern. Learn the patterns. Learn your Bible. Learn the models. You have models and you have patterns in the Bibles. Models will always be the defining of it. The pattern will always be the infrastructure of it. How it works. Model will be the overall concept. You'll find a model in the Bible of something. It'll be the overall concept. When you get in and find the pattern of it, that's getting a little deeper in it. It'll show you the infrastructure of how it works. We talk about, and make it even simple. Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We talk about getting the mind of Christ. Very simple. Getting the mind of Christ is simply this. It's simply you learning the patterns by which God operates and the models by which he lays out. And when you learn those and you operate by them, that's his mind. It's just that simple. It's that simple. You've heard me say it many, many times. I try to run this church based on the model and the pattern. As close to the Bible as I can get it. If I'm going to do God's church, then I'm going to do it God's way. I'm not interested in doing it my way, and I'm certainly not interested in doing it your way. But I am interested in doing it His way. That necessitates we have a model and we have a pattern. And I follow that. You're going to see it tomorrow. i got a surprise for you tomorrow. You're going to see it tomorrow. But I'm not, and, you know, and I get a lot, take a lot of flack over it. You know, I tell you all the time that my goal is to build a Philadelphia church and a Laodicean church. Most people can't grasp that concept. And it causes us a lot of grief because we're against the whole world. Or the whole world's against us. Christianity world. I don't care. I don't care. And God call, I mean, I'm, I have a lot of faults and I have a lot of stupid things. But I'll tell you what, being courageous for God is not a downfall in my life. After all he's done for me, I'll take them all on. I don't care. I don't care who likes me. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Bottom line is this. Truth is truth and the book's the book. Amen. And um, that's just where I stand with it. I love everybody. want to get along with everybody. Uh, my, my middle name is, hi, how are you? I, I, and I, I just, you know, I want to be everything I can be to everybody. But when it comes down to the book, you'll go this way and I'll go this way. Because the book's all we got. And I, you know, I do a lot of dumb things in my life, and I'm far from perfect, and I'll be the first one to tell you that, but I want to tell you something. I've never taken the Bible to do what I wanted to do and forsaken what I knew it to be. Even when I'm wrong, I still know it's right and I'm wrong. 
And when people get into that game where they want to do something so much for God, they'll take the Bible that they want to take and they'll leave the Bible that they don't want to take when the Bible they don't want to take says exactly they shouldn't do what they want to do. That's just human nature. And uh, the book's the book. And we have to build something if we're going to do it. I mean, do you imagine the energy and the time and the resources and the money that most people put into churches that at the end of the day aren't going to cut it with God? God, most pastors are worried about buildings, they're worried about money, they're worried about offerings, they're worried about people, they're worried about, they're worried about everything except what they ought to be worried about, and that is truth. Amen. Who gives a flip about money or people or whatever? You, you worry about the truth. When you get the truth down, the rest of it takes care of itself. So, okay. Hey, we're all good with that? Yeah. Absolutely, there's a reason why. All of this chapter is a flowing commentary on the same subject. The reason why, and this is the beauty part, the reason why he put the paragraph marks in where he did is so we would know how to separate the heavens out. But the whole chapter is a flow of the same context. God's reconstruction. So there's no need for it. He put, it it's like why there's no paragraph marks after Acts chapter 20. Why is that? Because you don't need it anymore. He put the paragraph marks in to show you what he wanted to show you to draw your attention to. And by the time you get to Acts 20, you don't need them anymore because you got everything you need. That's what you got in chapter 1. He put the paragraph marks in to show you what you needed to know. You don't need them after verse 20 anymore because nothing's going to flip-flop back and forth. It's a running commentary to the rest of the chapter. Go ahead. You had your question again. Okay. Did, did Jamie tell you you couldn't ask that? You can Jamie, did you shut him down? <laughs> Go ahead, Danny, ask it. Go ahead, ask it. What is it? No, no, no. I can see her over there. I know she's got the Jamie face on. Okay, okay. I'm here to help. I'm a friend of man. Larry, you try to put your hand up. You have a question? I'm sorry? Can I explain what? The shape of the universe? Why is it a pyramid? The shape of the universe. Yeah, okay. Basically, it's, it, it's based on that uh, everything that God does, as I said, he has a pattern. You're going to find that the devil imitates that. This is why all the pagan religions, all the pagan everything uh, is... Uh, based on, on false pyramids. Probably the Great Pyramid of Calathias over there is, is the largest one. Probably was built by, I don't know if it was Job, somebody obviously built it. The interstructure of that pyramid matches up to everything in the Bible. Um, it's, an incredible, uh, it's an incredible thing uh, to study. Uh, that would give you the idea that that thing is a picture of of the, of the second heaven. When you get over to Revelation chapter 21, when New Jerusalem comes down, it comes down as a double pyramid. Uh, and it fits as the capstone. And that capstone could only fit on a pyramid. So it's, a, it's a basically a, based on that, that concept. But 
That's where you got it. All right, let's move on here in verse 20 so we get through this chapter today. <clears throat> and, God's, uh, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly moving creatures that have life uh, and a fowl that may uh, fly above the earth and the open firmament. And God had created uh, great whales and, uh, and, uh, and every living creature uh, that moved, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, Every winged fowl after his kind, and God blessed them. Notice the, uh, uh, first of all, the water brings forth life. We know from John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, that that's a picture of man's water birth. He's born from water. Uh, the verse 21, you find that uh, uh, the, first, the, first, the first animal that was created that is mentioned is a whale. And that is because Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 says that the whale with Jonah is going to be a type of the picture of the resurrection. So here again, you had light, verse 3, don't miss this, verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So when he creates two things, God is consistent. The first thing he talks about is a great whale, that's light. Look at the next thing he says, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creature after his kind, cattle. There's your darkness. Cattle's a type of Baal worship, picture of the devil. He's always pictured with a cleft foot, horns, and a tail. He represents the cattle. So in the Old Testament, they worship Baal. So your Hindus won't eat cattle. It's a, it's a, it's, it, it, again, it keeps popping up all the way through it. God made the beast of the field after his kind, and cattle after their kind, same process, reproduction, producing somebody. Cattle reproduce cattle, Christians used to be, need to reproduce Christians. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, now we have a paragraph mark here. Now we're going to switch to man. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, there it is, over the fowl of the air, there's the first heaven, and over the cattle and all that be on the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. There's the guy you went out with last weekend. <laughs> so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, and female after created he them. Now, this is very important. Two aspects of God. And man's created under those two aspects. Image and likeness. Image and likeness. Image will always be Jesus Christ. Likeness will always be the physical characteristics of man. <clears throat> the likeness is man has two arms, a head, a torso, and two legs. That's Jesus Christ. When God created him, he created him with a, with a likeness. That likeness is uh, he's got a head, he's got a body, he's got two arms, he's got two legs. So you're created in that likeness. The image is spiritual. The image is Christ in you, the spiritual side of man. Adam and Eve are the only two people on the planet in the history of the world that when they were created, they were created born again. They were created born again. And uh, he has God's image. He's a son of God. And he has God's likeness. He's in the likeness of God, bodily shape. So you want to remember that. That's very key too. Now look at verse 28. And here's another Here's another great aspect to proof for the gap. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, the mean replenish means to put something back. 
if Adam and Eve were the first ones here and there was nothing here before them, what was there to replenish? Now, this has led to a lot of people thinking that there were human beings here before all of that. And, of course, there again, that's somebody that doesn't know their Bible. Adam was a son of God. So over to Luke chapter 3 there in his genealogy, when it comes back to Adam, it says that Adam, who was the son of God. The sons of God who left with Satan were sons of God. So he's in an image here of God, and he's in a likeness of God, and he's in the ability that God wants him to reproduce sons of God and replenish the sons of God that fell. And that's what he is to do. Of course, the devil steps in. We won't get into it today, but the devil steps in and shuts that down. We'll see that next month. But he was to replenish something that was no longer filled up. And that brings up an interesting thing, which is probably true, except there's not really a lot of proof on it other than things like this. But here again, consistency sometimes will prove a lot of things. Adam never did that. He never got around to doing that simply because of the fact that everything kind of broke down. But we move into the church age, and now we are taking Adam's commission spiritually, because you and I are to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth spiritually. Where Adam was doing it and producing sons of gods in a physical sense, kingdom of heaven, we're doing it in a spiritual sense, kingdom of God. And probably, knowing God and how it all works, I'd say that what you and I are doing, part of all God's scheme, is heaven's incomplete. God is a complete God. He has to, he has to replace those sons of God that fell. And so probably what we are doing by winning people to Christ and producing sons of God spiritually are filling the void of how many angels left. And probably, I'm just going to take a stab at this one, probably when that number is hit, it'll trigger the rapture and everything's ready to go. I'd say. I'd say. I can't prove that, but based on 45 years in the Bible and looking at all the patterns and seeing everything the way that it is, I would say that's probably true. If somebody wanted to disagree, I don't care. You know what? doesn't matter to me. Uh, but I'm just telling you, that's what it looks like. Yeah. No. It must have been the wrong Bible. <laughs> no. No. Nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible. So I, the, everything runs to a plan, and God has an order to everything, and I would say that's His order. Yes, ma'am. Because now we're going to deal with man. Yeah, mm -hmm. where it starts up there. I, and I told, it's 26. Oh, the one in 24 too? Okay. Well, I was wrong. Um, the, I, I thought there was no more through the rest. Again, subject changes. Yeah, maybe that's what Jamie was telling Danny, that her dad was wrong and she didn't want to call him on. Is that it, honey? Yeah, I got, I got you. It's okay. She what up? It's all right. It's all good. Danny had it wrong, you know. He was wrong. I mean, you, you and I were right. Danny was wrong. I, I know. Get him, get, get him straightened out, man. Get him. So in 20 through 23, then, is it because he's talking about life, and then 24, he talks about the devil? Yeah, he's talking about, and here, I would say, now that I'm looking at it, that he's drawing a distinction between the whale and the cattle, so we would pick up on that. That's what I would say, now that I saw it. I didn't look far enough ahead. Uh, 
and then in 26, he's, he's coming down to deal with man in God's image. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, can you <coughs> go over the likeness and image real quick? Yeah, the likeness is his bodily shape. The image is the spiritual part of him. Nothing more than that. There's nothing more to it. <clears throat> when you stand up and you've got a head and arms and a legs, that's the likeness. When you got saved, you've got the image of Christ living inside you. That's a spiritual side. One's physical, one's spiritual. One represents the kingdom of heaven, one represents the kingdom of God. That's the way it works. Wait, back here. I had a question. Ezekiel 28, verse 13. Uh-huh. Right. That shows you, as I said earlier, that that is that there, Eden was already on this earth. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was already here. That's where his throne was. That was his dominion back then. Absolutely. Yeah. Back here. Yes, sir. I, I can't hear what you're saying. The what? Somebody, oh, I, I see, what, the, what do the birds represent? Well, birds in the Bible, I don't know that they do here, but birds in the Bible can represent unclean spirits. Here, they're not. He's just giving what man has dominion over in God's original, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're literal birds there. He's telling you that man has dominion over everything that God created. All right, let's move on down through here. Uh <clears throat> Verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you shall be for meat, and every beast of the earth, and the fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, therefore is, uh, there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now what happens in verse Two of, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2 is we see um, how he sets the seventh day and sets it apart. And he follows that pattern all the way through the Bible. Seven is a key number in the Bible and it shows you that man is going to be on earth for 6,000 years and he separated, he separated the uh, seventh day to show you that that represents notice here, the seventh day uh, he blesses it, it's holy and it's a day that God rests from all his work. And obviously, uh, insane people who know nothing about the Bible wonder how God could be tired and needed a rest. The rest there is the millennial rest. It's God ceasing from his work because God's plan now is in full effect. And that's what it represents. And then you get a recap from verse 4 on. Uh, you get a recap. And I want to hold two up because when we get back next week, next month, we want to get into Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and I want to put all that in one lump there. So we'll hold up there. But.